Well, would you mind joining me by turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7? And we will pick up where we left off the last time in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 6 through 12 as we work our way through chapter 7. My goodness, it it is filled with so much challenge for us. And I look forward in the next few weeks, probably by the end of February, we will be able to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, but we will be looking at some things that are, uh, I think I think the passages in verses 21 through 23, which we'll get to in a few weeks, without a doubt the most sobering and horrifying passages in all the Bible. A section where Jesus will say to many, many religious people, many people in the church, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. We're going to get to those passages and a uh, lot to look at there. But tonight we are in verses 6 through 12. Jesus is speaking. It's what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and To the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let me begin with a question. How does it make you feel to hear Jesus comparing people to pigs and dogs? <laughs> you know, out of, uh, I, I, if when, I, when I read something like this, I think about, I think about the, um, the secular, I think about the secular crowd who, um, who often like to talk about Jesus. And, you know, there's, there, you know, you, you, if you've often, even on late night television, I mean, I was listening to an interview the other day with Stephen Colbert. And uh, he was he was talking about Jesus and had good things to say about Jesus. And I thought, I wonder if he's read this verse lately. <laughs> and 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 what 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 would he say to that? What would, what would he say to that? Now let's be clear, Jesus is not being derogatory here, not at all. We're we're going we're going to see as we unpack this. We're going to see Jesus is not being flippant here. He's not putting people down. He's not being derogatory. In fact, what we want to do is we want to pay careful attention how. Verse 6 and 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11 connect to the previous passages in verses 1 through 5. We want to pay a special attention to that. And so in order to do that, we have to kind of back up. And we, we, we looked at verses 1 through 5 a couple of Wednesdays ago. And it, and it speaks of where Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. We went through these verses. I'm not going to go through them again and in any kind of entirety, but I just want to say this. Jesus, in saying not to judge, was, again, remember, not ruling out critical judgment. He he was never saying that we were not supposed to say something is good and something is bad or something is right and something is wrong. He was never ruling that out. He was ruling out harsh, unfair judgment. Everyone needs help with splinters and logs, as he goes on to speak of in verses 3, 4, 
And five, everyone needs help with splinters and logs. We all occasionally have either a splinter or a log, but how that help comes is crucial. You know, we, we remember we, we talked about having a splinter in our eye, and you know, we we can't we we can't manage very well getting that out. We need somebody to help us, and we said, you know, we, when they help us, we want them what to be very careful, <laughs> very careful in how they approach that. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, when we when we're when we're trying to help each other with our our blind spots, our faults, when we're trying to help each other to be able to see better, see reality and truth better, uh, we need to be careful in how we go about helping each other. Okay, so that's the context. Verses verses one through five. That's the context. And this is going to continue in verse 6 and 3. So just, just pay attention to how this connects. In other words, Jesus has been talking about how, how to do critical judgment, judgment that is going to help, not hurt, okay? Judgment that's going to heal and not destroy, right? And so when we get to verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what first, what is Jesus describing here? Again, keep the context in mind. He's, he's been talking about, you know, how to make good judgment, righteous judgment versus unfair. So what is Jesus describing here? Well, think about it this way. Think about an owner. He maybe owns dogs or owns pigs. And he is throwing something to his pigs that is not edible or not attractive to them. For example, they own pigs. Maybe pigs are used to getting slop, okay? And I I know some of you folks have seen that before, what that looks like. Uh, For some strange reason, it's attractive to pigs, okay? And they go for it, okay? And so the pigs are used to getting slop. That's, that's attractive to them. That's edible to them. But let's say that one day the owner comes out and he doesn't give them the attractive edible slop. Instead, he gives them uh, a diamond ring or, in Jesus' case, a pearl. Now, you, 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 the owner might be thinking, this pig's going to love this diamond ring. <laughs> it's my grandmother's. It's going to love this diamond ring. But the pig doesn't find that attractive, doesn't find it edible. And so if you throw things that a dog or a pig anticipate will be edible and attractive, and it's not, what will happen? It's doubtful the pig's going to say, excuse me, kind sir, (laughs) I'd much prefer the slump. No, they will what? Turn on you. That's what Jesus says here. So he's giving this picture of, you know, an owner saying, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw out something uh, that, that I think, I think is very valuable and very important. I'm going, to, I'm going to give it out. And they don't see it that way. They will turn on you. So what does Jesus mean here? Well, the clue is found in verse 6. Do not give dogs, notice the next phrase, what is holy, right? Uh, that which is holy. Uh, 
So, again, what, you know, what, 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 could, what could that be? Okay, well, um, truth, teaching. Because, because, again, the context here is about you know, interaction between individuals, okay? Uh, speaking to one another, trying to get splinters out, removing logs, uh, judging others with a righteous judgment and not a critical judgment. That, that's the context that's going on here. And so there's interaction going on between people. And so you, you might have something which you consider as, as holy, or maybe, as he goes on to say, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Again, another hint. Now, pearl is something valuable, okay? But in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, a little later now, okay, a little later in this same book, Matthew 13, if you'll turn over, Jesus gives a couple of short little parables. Uh, and in verse 44, I guess I should say verse 45, uh, verse 45, we see a reference to pearls. And see, if you were reading this, you'd already be set up because you'd, you'd remember, okay, wait a minute. He's talking about pearls back in, back in the Sermon on the Mount. And now in chapter 15, he says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So as you go back to Matthew 7 and verse 6, what might Jesus be meaning when he says that which is holy are pearls? I think, I think we conclude that it would be the teachings of the kingdom. And so, so Jesus would be saying, okay, you're my disciples, and you're going to be handling the teachings of the kingdom, the teachings that Jesus have passed on to his apostles and then passed on down successively to the church, generation after generation. Um, these are precious to you. They are beautiful. They are attractive. They're holy. They're precious. And some will hear them, some whom you speak to, some who you share with, some will hear this and they will respond just the way the man did in Matthew 13. Getting rid of everything else so I can have this. <laughs> this gospel, this good news, this teaching of the kingdom is so, is so wonderful. This is so great. I want this. I'll get rid of all of this. Some will respond that way. But some will respond piggishly. That's what Jesus is warning his disciples. Some are going to respond to the teachings of the kingdom, the gospel, they're going to respond piggishly. What might that look like? I have an example. <laughs> Over the weekend, uh, this past weekend, I think it was, in Las Vegas, Lady Gaga. I know most of you are probably Lady Gaga fans. How many of you have Lady Gaga fans? Hand up. <laughs> okay, John. I didn't think there would be that many here. Lady Gaga is a pop star, okay. Uh, I'm not going to walk you through her bio, but um, she has a residency in Las Vegas, and she stopped during one of her songs and spewed out some profanity, which that's supposed to be real cool for pop stars to do. Uh, and then she went on a rant about Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, and his wife. Of course, of course most of if you, if you're not living in a cave, you know that Mike Pence's wife has decided to go back and work part time at a Christian school. 
she she did this 10 years ago and nobody really had anything to say but now she goes back and now we live in the era of the lgbtq rstv whatever all the other we live in that era okay where it's a different world now now she's gone back to school to teach art to children at a christian school and if you've been listening she i mean her and her husband i mean just mer- mercilessly blasted well Lady Gaga jumped on, and uh, let me see. I have it right here. Okay. Uh, she, this is during a concert. She stops. You, Mike Pence, are wrong. You are the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. I am a Christian woman, and what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice, and everybody is welcome. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and you can look yourself in the mirror, and you'll find it right there. Now, if... You know that words matter, okay? And when people say things, when they say things, uh, you know, they're expecting us to listen and pay attention, okay? And so we listen and we pay attention to what Lady Gaga said. And so she says that, that she's a Christian woman, and she's, what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice and everybody is welcome. And so the question we have is, is Mike Pence welcome? Is his wife welcome? You see how this breaks down? You see how stupid breaks down? You see, she thought, she thought, you know, I've got it here. I've got it here. This is what Christianity is about. Everybody's welcome, except you, Mike Pence. You're not welcome. Well, then everybody's not welcome then. So you, you understand, right? See, that is, that is the, that is piggish behavior. Okay. Well, let me go a step further. Uh, this came out, this news came out on Monday, I think it was. Yeah, Monday. And uh, I know you're going to probably think I'm horrible, but I have a subscription to Rolling Stone. Have had for years, you know. And um, how, many of you, how many of you have a pres- subscription to Rolling Stone? <laughs> I just, you know, I just keep up on this stuff, okay? Um, so with the subscription comes this opportunity. They send you emails of the latest stories. Well, this story came up and I read it. And then of course you have an opportunity to blog along with other people. And so when I read this, I just couldn't resist. Catherine says I needed to, and I'm going to stop Catherine. I promise. I promise because I learned my lesson again. I learned my lesson again. I got on and I was, you know, through the whole time I was very, you know, respectful, you know, and all that stuff. And I was trying to make my case and, uh, at first, at first it went okay, but then when I started using scripture, all of a sudden, then the heat turned up, and responders got, they got hot with me then about, you know, well, you can't trust the Bible and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, and I, I mentioned, you know, that Lady Gaga had used the F-bomb in her, her statement, and I just was wondering if she was a Christian, that would mean she's a follower of Jesus, and just wondering how many times we have recorded that Jesus use the F-bomb. And there are none, but one, one responder sent back and said that Bible scholars have found that he used it 15 times. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of craziness that is out there, okay? But anyway, my point, let me get to my point. My point is, before long, see, they, they started out okay, then they turned on the Bible, and then they finally turned on me. Then they finally turned on me, and that's when I just, you know, disconnected. So that is, that is my up-to-date example of how they turn on you, okay? 
Because I was, I, was, I was trying to make points, make clear points, make respectful points, use the word of God, use truth. And it was like giving a, a diamond ring to a pig. That's one way to behave piggishly. That's one way. That's probably the most obvious way. But there is another way that people can behave piggishly or doggishly, if we want to say that. When they, when they hear the gospel, when they, they hear us speaking about the teachings of the kingdom and the teachings of Jesus, um, it, it, instead, of, instead of like the man in, in Matthew 13 who said, yep, I'm get rid of all the other pearls because I can have this pearl. This, this is what I'm going to build my identity upon. Some will not respond that way. They will say this. Well, tell me how this is going to meet my immediate needs. Is this going to help me get a better job? Is this going to cause my husband to come back? Is this going to cause my kids to love me more? How, in other words, what am I going to get out of this? <laughs> That's another way that people behave piggishly and doggishly. So how does verse 6 connect with the previous verses? In our personal interactions, in our righteous judging, in our careful spec removing, here it is, we must honor the pace of God in the lives of others or they may turn on you. We must honor the pace of God in their lives. Uh, what I mean is, you know, you know where, if, if God's not at work in their lives, if God's not at work in their lives, then it's very likely that no matter how careful, no, no matter how winsomely, you know, I think there's a lot of talk in the last couple of years about being more winsome. And that's good. I think it's great, in fact. But no matter how winsome, no matter how careful, no matter how respectful, if God's not at work in their lives, the Holy Spirit's not at work in their lives, it is likely that they will turn on us. And we shouldn't be surprised at that, okay? Because we are giving a diamond ring to a dog, okay? And so we need to be careful, respectful, and honor the pace of God in their lives, I mean, in other words, it's all right to just say, I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> I'm not saying anymore. I'm not saying anymore right now. See, these are people now that Jesus is talking about. These are people who one day may respond positively to the gospel because I'm sure that before I became a Christian, I'm sure that I behaved piggishly. I'm sure I did. So these are people who one day may respond positively to the gospel, and here's what they might say. I hear this in interviews a lot of times. People, people who were lost and they'll come to faith in Christ and they'll, they'll be, somebody will be interviewing them and they'll say, you know, I was going to church and I never heard the gospel. And, and, and you need to be careful when you hear that because the assumption you might assume go, oh, I wonder what church he was going to. They weren't preaching the gospel. Be careful. Be careful when you do that because we might, we might jump to that conclusion. Oh, that bad church. They weren't preaching the gospel. That person said they never heard the gospel. Listen, we can be reasonably certain that there are people who are not hearing the gospel right now in our own congregation. You can be reasonably sure of that. You can be reasonably sure just about any church in town that there are people there who are not hearing the gospel. It's not because it's not being preached. Just that they're not hearing it. They're not hearing it. So again, to connect verses 1 through 5 with verse 6, we must always be careful in evaluating others. 
okay? We need to be careful. That's, that's, again, what Jesus is talking about, verses 1 through 5. We need to be careful in our evaluation, careful in our judgment, okay? And all of this, of course, presupposes that we are engaging with people with the gospel. We are talking to people. We are sharing our faith. All of, this, all of these verses presuppose this. And so, so how do we do it? I mean, what, what's a, and we talked about here you know, about them turning on us. So let's just take a moment to talk about how might be the best way. And I'm, I'm going to recommend one way, and, and I don't think we can go wrong here. It's, it doesn't mean that they still won't turn on us, okay? But here's a way. Think about how God won you over. If you, if you can think back, okay, if you can think back, how did God win you over? Um, most likely it was, not by, it was not by taking power, by, but by coming and losing power and serving. Jesus Christ came, what, to serve, not to be served, okay? So how, how did God win us over? How did he save us? Again, not with a sword, not with a sword in his hand of uh, compelling us and commanding, hey, you come here. No, it was nails in his hands, right? See? And so we, we remember how are we won? How are we saved? He came, he came, what? He said not to judge. He came to bear judgment, okay? And so we need to think about how were we saved? How did God win us over when we are communicating with other people? At the same time, at the same time, we must not become too lax or lose all critical faculties when it comes to sacred concerns. In other words, it's one thing to talk to people about politics or, or you know, U of K, U of L basketball and all that kind of stuff. That's one thing. But when you start talking about sacred things, that's, that's when the, the temperature can change, okay? And we need not to be too lax or lose all critical faculties. And then again, Verses 1 through 5 are talking about keeping our critical faculties, okay, and honoring the pace of God in the lives of the lost. Any questions? Any comments before we go on to verses 7 through 11? Because we've got 15 minutes. We ate up 30 doing that, okay? Anything? Anybody? All right. Some have claimed that verses 7 through 11 are some of the most encouraging, hope-giving sections of the Sermon on the Mount. On the other hand... <laughs> There is some danger here, and I think you'll be able to see it. Maybe you already see it. Let's look at it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and receives, uh, asks, receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a son? We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. Ask, given to you. You see any danger there? See any danger? Yeah, okay. Here, here's, here's the danger. It's not so much in the words. It's the danger is isolating this text from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, that's usually always the danger in Bible reading is isolating a text, reaching in, snatching it out of context, you see. You know, it, it fits, fits in context. But we reach in, grab it. I want it to mean this for me right now, you see. Here's the danger. Let me, let me, let me just read it to you. The person that says, all I, all I have to do is ask God for what I want with faith and persistence, and I'll get it. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? It's all I have to do. Whatever I want, I just ask. And you've heard this, right? You have heard this. You have heard this. Uh, fascinating news that came out last week. Um, Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer, after years, after years of denying, after years of denying that she was not a prosperity gospel preacher, after years of denying... <laughs> that she wasn't, 
what she actually was, she has come out and finally, praise God, finally admitted it. Uh, Joyce Myers, what she believed and taught about prosperity and faith was, her words, out of balance. Let me read it for you. This is her own words. Every time somebody had a problem in their life, I believed it was because they didn't have enough faith. If you got sick, didn't have enough faith. If your child died, you didn't have enough faith. Well, that's not right. Thank you. After years of teaching that it was right, now she finally says that it wasn't right, and it never was. She goes on to say, well, that's not right. There is nowhere in the Bible where we're promised we will never have any trouble. Praise God. Now, I'm glad to hear her acknowledge this, though I would not feel safe drinking from the well of her teaching still, and I would not recommend it. Or you know, I've, I've, had, I've had people come before and ask me, Brother Van, you know, would you sponsor? Would you would you put up this poster, or would you advertise this? You know, look, I I don't want to I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, don't make anybody mad, but there's there's healthy and there's non healthy, okay? And just just what I read to you just goes to show you, just goes to show you that there's some things that are unhealthy. Now I'm glad that she has made this recanting, because uh, what she has always taught was a prosperity gospel. I mean the 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 thought that you could tell someone that their child died because they did not have enough faith is some of the most cruel, heartless teaching that, that I can think of. And so, but, but see, verses 7 and 8 can be, can be used in that kind of dangerous way. Once again, we should ask, how do these passages connect with the previous passages? I mean, Jesus starts this chapter out by saying, you know, make judgments, make righteous judgments, use critical thought, to do it right, get the specs out, but get the log out of your own eye, you know, all this interaction between one another. Now, how does that fit with what he's talking about now? Verses 1 through 6, I think you'll agree, call us to a very high standard, okay? When you read verses 1 through 6, it's kind of like, you snap to attention and go, whoa, you know, I got to be careful here. I got to be more careful in how I deal with people. You know, how, how, I, how I look at people, even non-Christians who are still created in the image of God. I've got to be careful how I interact with them. So we're being called to a high standard, right? So where will we find the help we need to meet the demands of verses one through six? Where will we get that help? I mean, I don't know about you, but I need help, okay? I need help to fulfill verses 1 through 6, and so do you. Where will we get the help to do that? One writer put it this way. In the midst of such high demands upon Christ's followers, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 show us much grace. See, that's what I want to continue. These verses have to do with the previous verses of we have such a high demand and we need help to meet it in verses 7, 8, and on. Tell us how to get that help. Ask for it. So verses 7 through 8, look, it's not about the golden ticket for getting all our material desires met, but rather it tells us how to pray for the character of the kingdom in our lives and how to pray for our spiritual lives. See, we look at verse 7 and 8, and I guarantee you many people look at them and go, boom, golden ticket for getting my material needs met. Just ask and receive, as if there was nothing else we were supposed to pray about. 
What about praying for our spiritual lives? What about praying and saying, Lord, I need help in fulfilling verses one through six because I'm not very good at it on my own. See, we, would, we should see the following connection. These verses are tied to the theme of judging and evaluating correctly. And we all need help in that. Jesus' disciples are being called to reconsider and evaluate God's nature correctly as fatherly and generous. We see that in verses 9 and 10 and 11. He is trusting. In other words, when we think about judging, we should judge God correctly. We should see him as a generous father who will give us the help that we need to do verses 1 through 6. In fact, let's, let's look closely at verses 7 and 8. Uh, now, again, uh, we're looking at an, an English translation and realizing that we are, we are you know, having to deal with the fact that the original writing was in Greek. And there are two kinds of imperatives. Now, Jesus is giving, these are first commands. In verses 7 and 8, verses 7, for example, ask and it will be given to you. That's a command, okay? A command or an imperative. There are two kinds of imperatives in the Greek. Let me give them to you real simple, okay? I'm no, I'm, no, I'm no expert, but it's easy to find this stuff out, okay? The first is an aorist imperative, which means a definite command. And it would sound like this, shut the door, shut the door. That's, a, that's an aorist command, a definite command, shut the door. But then there's another imperative in the Greek called a present imperative, which is a continuous action, which would mean what? Keep on shutting the door. You, you probably have a four-year-old living in there. <laughs> you have to keep on shutting the door, okay? So that is what Jesus is using here. He, he's not saying, ask, and that's it. Don't ask anymore. As some, as some of the word faith teachers will say, if you ask anymore, that just proves you don't have faith. Wrong. <laughs> Jesus said, keep on asking. Keep on asking, Right? Uh, so when, when someone, now think about it this way. When someone we are close to is sick, we don't have any problem with this, okay? Let's keep on asking, right? If they're sick and then they're sick tomorrow and then sick next week, do we, do we ever stop and about, well, I've already asked. I'm not asking anymore. No, we, well, we keep on, right? So we don't have any problem when it comes to someone that we love being sick. The question is, do we persist in our prayers for spiritual growth for ourselves and for others? See? And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, it's the help we need for fulfilling verses 1 through 6. The help we need in making this kind of critical judgment and the challenges that brings. So he is saying, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> look at yourself as being sick. <laughs> look at you and you, you keep on asking. You keep on praying. Keep on asking. Someone might say here, you know, if we're God's children and if he loves us and knows what we need, why must we ask? Well, let me just read you a little portion here from uh, Craig Blomberg, I think, says it better than I can ever begin to say it. Commenting on these verses, Jesus also presupposes that his listeners will recall his teaching in the Lord's Prayer in which one insists that God's will be done. Earlier, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, remember we went through the Lord's Prayer, and, and, the, and the prayer to, you know, thy will be done. Here's what he says. Those who today claim that in certain contexts it's unscriptural to pray if it is the Lord's will 
are both heretical and dangerous. There are people in the church, and I know some of them, who say that it is wrong, that it's unbiblical to, to pray, you know, to be praying and then say, if it be thy will, Lord. <laughs> even, though Jesus, even though Jesus prayed that way, somehow that it is unbiblical to do that. And as Craig Blomberg, and I agree with him, it's heretical and it is very dangerous. He goes on to say, often our prayers are not answered as originally desired because we do not share God's perspective in knowing what is ultimately a good gift for us. We are especially tempted to think of the values of this world, health and wealth, of course, rather than spiritual values. Uh, okay. Why? Well, okay. But verses 9 through 11. Sorry, I've only got five minutes and we're not going to have enough time to get done. But verses 9 through 11, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? Um, what, what, what is this all about? You know, what is, what is this all about? Well, while persistence in prayer is encouraged, that is not the emphasis here. There's other places in the scripture where it calls for us to be persistent in prayer, to keep on, keep on, and keep on, and keep on. That's not really what Jesus is getting at here. Rather, the emphasis is on the character and the kindness of our Heavenly Father. Uh, you notice, imagine, you know, again, this is a great example. Jesus says, you know, imagine, imagine your daughter comes and, and said, oh, Daddy, oh, Daddy, <laughs> give, me a, give me a piece of bread. And he says, here, here's a stone, you know. Munch on that for a while, you know. That, Jesus say that, that's unthinkable, you know. Or a son who comes and adds, you know, and then you give him a, a serpent. You know, again, unthinkable. And so then in verse 11, if you then, in other words, you know, you, you were able to reason that out. If, if you then, notice who are evil, evil in, in comparison to a holy God, if you're able to give good gifts to your children, how much more. Do you see that phrase? How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And we don't have enough time, but I challenge you to do this. Just look through the New Testament. There's, there's at least four more, much more passages arguing the lesser to the greater. Okay. Uh, so just, I just encourage you to look them up because as, as, as these, are, these are calculated arguments. In other words, this one here in verse 11, you know, it's kind of like, think about this. Think about this. If you, being evil, are able to give good gifts, if you're able to do that, how much more this perfect, holy, kind, generous God will give good gifts to those who ask him? And see, that, that's supposed, that's supposed to get, you're supposed to go, oh, well, yeah, I see it now, you know? And there's a number of these in the New Testament, these much more arguments, all right? 